Before our, before our lesson, I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 1, 24-28. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one emperor of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Well, good morning. It is good to see you out this morning. I want to join in wishing you a happy Mother's Day. If you're visiting here, we're very glad that you have uh, chosen to be here for worship today. Uh, the congregation for you mothers has a gift for you, and the youth group are around, and they are going to help pass these out. So we need our moms to kind of get your hand enough in the air so that as uh, Dustin and some of the youth come around with these, uh, they can put one of these gifts in your hand just a way to honor you on Mother's Day. We're so thankful for all that our mothers do. And so those will be coming around. Just kind of keep your hand uh, sort of where they can see it until you get one. And if we miss you, we'll get you afterward this morning. But we're so glad that you're here. I would invite you while these are coming around to keep your Bible open uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. That is going to be our main text this morning as we study. Now, it's an honor for us to honor mothers. And it's great that we live in a country that sees the value. We come together uh, first and foremost to worship God. But a day where we spend some time giving appropriate honor... Uh, to our mothers. The National Retail Federation says that today, on average, we are going to spend $172.63 on mom. Now, I don't know how you get to that exact number, but that's the number, and that's up about $10 from last year on this date. And so, mom, if you've, uh, you kind of make sure that you're getting your appropriate amount, we kind of joke about that. We understand that the, the, the way we honor mom is to thank her and to value her and to spend time with her. And so if you do have your mom with you today, still living, I hope that you find a way to spend some time. My travels, my work took me to Nashville last week and so thankfully I was able to spend some time with my mom and I enjoyed that and I'm thankful for that. If you no longer have your mom with you though, treasure those memories. And help your mom live on by being sure that you share memories about your mom, maybe with your kids and with your family. And if you're here today and you're looking forward to being a mother one day, maybe that is something that you desire very much. My prayer is that God will open that door for you and bless you in that way in His time. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, you understand, and from the screen you understand, we're going to talk a little bit about Hannah this morning. And she ends up being a great mother. Uh, in some ways, though, what we see in her are some really good attributes before she's ever a mother. And one of the reasons it's valuable to study somebody like Hannah is we're not just talking to mothers in the audience this morning. We were joking last week, you know, on Mother's Day we, we build up the mothers and then sometimes on Father's Day we beat down the dads. Well, 
it, it, it's a, we do that, and I don't know. Dads, we probably deserve it. I don't know. But it's not just mothers in the room. And what we're going to see in Hannah, long before she ever is blessed with that first child, what we see in her is this quality relationship with God. And that's why a study of Hannah becomes applicable to mothers, to fathers, to children, to anybody in the room, because in any relationship, whether you're the mother, whether you're the father, whether you're the boss, whether you're the co-worker, whether you're the child, any successful relationship, if you want it to be everything that it can be, a quality relationship with God really, really ought to be at the foundation. And so as we begin to think about Hannah this morning, I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to notice quite a bit from this chapter. But the first thing we're going to see in her is she's going to display great self-control. And I don't know about you, that's not just one that moms need. It's one that Philip needs. It may be one that you need. We, were, we did some pre-Mother's Day celebrating yesterday evening, and it was Marla and, my, and me and my daughter Kayla and her boyfriend Josh. And I don't know why people drive at their worst whenever the car is full. But that's what always happens. And so people were crazy. And my level of self-control behind the wheel was lacking last night a little bit. And so self-control is one that we all need. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 has lots of long words in it. I'm not going to read it, but the verse 1 basically says, This is Elkanah. It introduces us to the husband of Hannah. And so then you get to verse 2, and the Bible says, He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now there, there is the drama in this. This is the problem. Verse 3, Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. So you got a guy who's created a dysfunctional family. The scholars say likely Elkanah has married Hannah first. He is the wife that, she lo that he loves. And when she proves to be barren, when she's not having children, the scholars say what probably happens next is he goes on out and he chooses this other wife, Peninnah. He doesn't really love her, but she is able to provide offspring. And so you've got this dysfunctional family created and naturally with that comes some friction. Elkanah makes it worse though. As parents, we know one thing we never do is we never show favoritism to our children, right? Well, here's Elkanah in a multi-wife situation and he not only loves one woman more, he flaunts it. When he goes to sacrifice, he gives portions to Peninnah, but he doubles it for Hannah. And so he flaunts his favoritism and so next we see things kind of heating up. Her rival, however, talking about Peninnah, would provoke her, talking about Hannah, bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. In other words, Peninnah sees this. She sees that she's not loved. She sees that she's the second choice. And so you can see her going and having these conversations with Hannah. He may love you more, but at least I can give him some kids painful. You know, that's, that's not 
Hopefully that's not pain that you can identify with, but, but in almost every room there is somebody who can identify with that pain, wanting nothing more than to have children, but not being able to. And so Peninnah knows just how to poke the, poke the sword into Hannah. If that's where you are today, my heart and my prayers go out to you. But there's Peninnah jabbing Hannah because she can't have children. Scripture refers to them as rivals. One translation says her tormentor. One says her adversary. These two are, at least from Peninnah's standpoint, they're at odds because of this. And then something else interesting happens. Verse 7 says it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. And so Hannah is upset. Now, she's not giving Peninnah the reaction that Peninnah really wants, but she is upset. And then, uh, ladies, if your husband has ever seemed insensitive... It's something about being male. He does, we, we don't intend to be insensitive, but sometimes we fall. Sometimes we don't do well. Insensitivity, it goes all the way back to the Bible because here's Elkanah, Mr. Insensitive. Verse 8, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Just like a man, isn't it? He doesn't identify with the fact that she's legitimately hurting. She's, she's really upset. And he doesn't make it any better by being insensitive. And so that's where she is. Through all of it, though, there's some things that are worth noticing. Hannah's situation, it's not really fair. It's not what she wants it to be. And all of us can identify with that. There are, all, there are these things in life where it's not what I want it to be. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem how it ought to be. But in the end, Hannah does not lash out at God. You don't see Hannah taking a swipe at God. You don't see her blaming God. You don't see her angry at God. You don't see that. You don't see Hannah lashing out at her husband Elkanah, even though he's part of the problem. You don't see her lashing out at him. You don't see her lashing out at Peninnah, who also deserves and has created some of this problem. What you see from her is self-control. And for us, whether we're moms, whether we're dads, whether we're children, the the question in the mirror is, are we the kind of people who have that level of self-control? When life isn't fair, when people take advantage, when people are insensitive, when people purposefully try to hurt us, do we maintain a level of self-control? Because we see that in her. But the next thing you want to notice about her is, yes, she's hurting, but she takes her hurt to the right place. Notice verse 9. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So she is praying. She's, she's pouring out her heart to God. Drop down to verse 12. Now it came to pass, or excuse me, it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. So Hannah's praying, Eli's watching, and Eli jumps to the wrong conclusion. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. In fact, he says to her in verse 14, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. In other words, he jumps to the wrong conclusion. 
about Hannah. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've, I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I've spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. See, her, her circumstance has her feeling and even saying out loud, she, she's at a state where she feels worthless. We never need to allow our circumstances to allow us to feel worthless because God has created us in His image. We talked about in our class this morning the idea that God has a plan for our lives. God works in our lives. God says that He works in our lives. We ought never to feel worthless. But that's where Hannah is. Peter encouraged Christians to do what Hannah's doing here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You remember 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 verses or chapter 5 verses 6 and 7 where Peter writes therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that's what Hannah's doing here and the question for you and the question for me is can we honestly say that we pray in this way because evidently Eli was not used to seeing that kind of a prayer life caused him to completely jump to the wrong conclusion. And so when I think about my prayer life and my interaction with God, can my prayer life be described as such an outpouring? Or is my prayer life more like a business meeting? Or is my, my prayer life more like just checking in? You know, sometimes when our kids are out, we want them to check in with us from time to time. You know, am I just checking in with God from time to time? Or am I kind of posting a status update for God? Or, you know, am I giving God His to-do list for the week as it relates to me? Because Hannah is pouring out her heart to God. Do I pray as a first course of action or as a last resort? Do I spend as much time praying about my plans for the future as I spend in the planning process? Hannah does something interesting as she prays. She makes a promise to God. And I want you to go back to verse 11. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant. In other words, I need some kids here. I need you to open my womb. I need you to make, be mindful of the fact that this is a passion for me. I want to have some children here. If you'll give your maidservant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come upon his head. So God, if you'll bless me, if you'll give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you. Her agony finds words in the form of a vow. All the days of his life. She, in a very real sense, has casted every care. She's cast every care upon the Lord. And I want you to notice what happens when this is all said and done. Because she prays. And walking away from prayer time, it's hard to believe that she could see at that moment how it was all going to work out. Maybe even believing how God would eventually bless her. But notice verses 17 and 18. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of Him. 
She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Another translation says, she no longer looked miserable. That's an impressive statement. And that's an impressive use of prayer. That is, that is casting your anxiety on God. The only way you're going to walk away so you're into prayer time and you're disturbed and you're passionate and you're hurting and then you walk away from prayer time and you no longer look sad and you no longer look miserable, the only way that happens is if you've truly cast your cares and your anxieties on God. She understood the purpose of having a conversation with God. See, see, prayer is that time that helps us understand that, that, that we are completely dependent upon God. Prayer is not really for God's benefit in that sense. But it does help us recognize how much we depend on Him. As we finish up this morning, we want to notice the idea that Hannah becomes the lady, the mother, who keeps her word. What you see going on there in verse 19, they arise and they worship before the Lord, they return again, they, uh, they conceive a child, God remembers her. And it came about that in verse 20, that in due time after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I'll bring him that he may appear before the Lord uh, and, and stay there forever. And then the Scripture's already been read where she goes, she weans him, she takes Samuel, she takes him to Eli. Some say probably about three years of age. Some say maybe a little older. But she takes her child to Eli and leaves him there forever. See, when God answers Hannah's prayer, she remembers her vow. Sometimes we cry out to God during the hard times, but then we forget Him when times are better, or we don't remember what we've promised Him. The first part of 1 Samuel 2, and we're not going to read it now, but it is her prayer of thanksgiving. And I would challenge you to read through that and notice how she gives praise to God because He's answered her prayer. She's thankful. And we're told over and over and over to be people of gratitude. Colossians 3 verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Not just to God. We need to thank God. But this is a good day to thank Mama. And we really ought not to have to wait for a holiday to, to be thankful to our mothers. But we need to be thankful. The other thing about Hannah following through on her vow. Sometimes we make promises and that we're not as good as we ought to be at keeping them. In fact, in some cases it's almost, it feels like we're playing a game of let's make a deal with God. You remember the old show and people would choose something behind the curtain, Monty Hall, the host... You know, and it's sometimes for us it plays out like this. Well, God, if you'll just bring me through this safely, I'll never miss another service. 
Or God, if, if you'll help me pay this bill, I'll make sure that your part always comes first. And for some reason, as the circumstance clears up, sometimes it becomes very easy for us to forget the promises that we made later on. Not to mention the fact that for those of us who are Christians, we we committed everything about our lives to Him on the day that we were immersed into Him. See, Christian living, it's not supposed to be about playing an ever-changing game of, of let's make a deal. But, but Hannah does. She, she does. She makes a deal with God. God, if you'll bless me with a son, he's, I'm going to give him back to you. You think about that. No kids. So much trouble in your family because you haven't been able to have a child. You're barren. It's not your fault. And now you have this beautiful baby boy. You're going to spend about three years with him and you're going to take that child to Eli. You're going to drop him off. And yeah, you're going to go back and see him from time to time, but you're leaving him there forever. Could you do that? See, it's ironic that we're talking about a great example of motherhood this morning, yet Hannah didn't have the opportunity in a traditional sense to fully be a mother to young Samuel. Now, God did bless her with more children later. Here's the thing. As parents today, we ought to be about the business of dedicating our children to the Lord. Wasn't it great seeing these youngsters saying the books of the Old Testament? And they probably put some of us to shame in in what they're learning and their ability. But see, we need to be about the idea that we're going to dedicate our young children to the Lord. I love it when shepherds pray over a young couple, a new family. Maybe they've had a child and, and shepherds are praying a blessing, praying for that couple, praying that they'll raise that child in the appropriate way. I love it when we see things like that happen. But even if that doesn't happen, as parents... When we're getting ready to have children, we've got to be committed to the idea. I'm thinking now, before that child's born, about how that child's going to be raised prior to its birth. Our goal should be to give our children back to God. You know, sometimes we'll plan early on regarding what we hope our children will do with their lives. Maybe we we talk in terms of, well, I want that child to take over the family business or I want that child to follow in my footsteps and, and pursue the same career field that I pursued. But And while those things can be important, in one sense, none of that really matters. Because it's not about what we hope our kids will do. It's got to be about who we hope our kids or what we intend for them to be and what we train them up to be. Hannah demonstrated her faithfulness to God and God continues to bless her. He blesses her with more children. And she's a great example of motherhood because she kept her word. But again, she's a great mother because she's got a great relationship with God. Bradley's going to lead us in just a moment in the song that he selected for this morning. For the record, it's worth noting that Samuel grew up to be exactly what his mother hoped he would be. Sometimes we get caught up in profession or we get caught up in vocation. And maybe this morning you're here as a child and and you realize that, that, that really in a lot of ways your walk with God hasn't been what your parents were hoping that it would be. 
And I'll tell you this, if that's where you are this morning, maybe you've become a Christian, but you, in your honest mind, you know you just kind of, it's, your, your walk with God hasn't been all that important to you. Or maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. You were raised up and trained, but for whatever reason, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. See, I can promise you this morning, if your mama's still alive, mama very likely is pouring her heart out to God about that day when you'll make your life right with Him. Does your life need to be rededicated to Him today? Do you need to begin your walk with Him today? As Bradley leads us in the song that's been selected, if you have a need today, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.